Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the Life Radio Studios. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, just a photographer, albeit one who has been shooting over 30 years. But if a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing, illustrating, and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me. Each week, I share a devotional inspired from one of these cross images, and we ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This week's devotional is The Firmament. Why did I choose the name Firmament? Well, the photo is a close-up, wide-angle image of the cross, meaning I'm standing very close to it, after the sun had just set. And the colors of the clouds are of the deepest, of pinks, purples, and amber. One of the richest mix of sunset colors in the Magi Cross Collection. The location is the second or intermediate site between the location of the majority of the collection and its final resting place at the north end of the football field. The football field? Yes. The cross that I had found was put there by a school organization. They had an elementary, junior high, and high school, and they wanted to build a new campus up on that ridge. The land on and around the small hill was sold to the school in a sweetheart deal by a well-to-do local lady of God. Now, this really angered many land developers who had eyes on this 100-plus acre hillside location. Plans that involved a lot of potential tax revenues for the city versus a nonprofit organization, not to mention the potential for backroom graft. And since the school needed the city's approval for most all stages of the school build-out, many impasses cropped up especially the first step to break ground, and the city seemed intent on derailing the entire project or stalling it as much as possible. So one of the people involved with the school cut, shaped, and painted the cross you see in my images. Then they dug a hole, placed a Bible in it, and then erected the cross atop the Bible and dedicated the site for God's plan for the school on that hill. I had stumbled upon the cross a month or two after it was erected. This explains the diversity of the cross collection. Yes, some of it has to do with the time of day, time of year, lens choices, shot location in regards to the angle I chose. However, a year into shooting the cross, the school officials finally broke ground. And the second year of shooting was filled with amazing surprises, meaning I'd arrive and find that the area around the cross had changed. And sometimes there'd be construction equipment nearby, like shipping containers or Caterpillar tractors I could climb onto and acquire new angles. Now, I find it appropriate that no matter what changes and challenges we face in our lives, in society, and in human history, 
or the telling of it, the story, the purpose, and the impact of the cross stays the same. Meaning while everything around our lives are in flux, constantly changing, the cross never changes. The principles, precepts, and promise of the cross never moves. And it will not be moved even while the tectonic plates beneath our temporal life keep shifting. The bedrock of Golgotha is steadfast, sanctified, and sure. When events in your life begin to shake your footing, your foundation, and even your faith, then return to the cross. Take time to read the gospel accounts of the crucifixion and the verses in the epistles of its impact on our right relationship with God. And then watch how your faith strengthens, how it strengthens your resolve to go through whatever you face with peace, joy, and love. Now, the deeper meaning for the name is found in Psalms 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Unquote. Now, it may not surprise you to learn that the firmament is one of my favorite subjects on many levels. When people hear that I am a photographer, they ask me what I like shooting the most. And my quick answer is skyscapes. In other words, I enjoy capturing God's firmament, or how I like to think of it, God's canvas. Now, the first time we see this word in Scripture is way back in Genesis 1, 6 through 8. Quote, God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. These verses call the firmament heaven, but in Hebrew meaning is sky. Modern translations infer an application of the word to the visible area above the earth. In the Nabri translation of Genesis 1-7, it states, God made the dome, and it separated the water below from the dome from the water above the dome. And so it happened. It seems to me that the perspective is changed as the direction and angle of view through the prism change. The dome can be the prism. When I contemplate Psalms 150, verse 1, which says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. I think of God as having an, an artist's studio where he gets to create all the beauty we see in nature, especially the fun he gets to have making the amazing skyscapes around the world every dawn and every dusk. Now, God has given us the wisdom to fully understand the mystery, the plan he was pleased to decree in Christ, a plan to be carried out in Christ in the fullness of time, to bring all things into one on him in the heavens and on the earth. God also decided ahead of time to choose us through Christ according to his plan. Amen. If you use your search engine like startpage.com to pull up a graphic illustration of the full spectrum of light typically is expressed in a semicircle format, you'll see huge chunks or cross sections or huge portions of the spectrum for, say, gamma waves or alpha waves. And kind of in the middle, you'll see these two tiny little slivers of spectrum referred to as the frequency our bodies use for visual light and right next to it is the frequency for our auditory senses, our hearing. Now, some creatures can hear, like dogs, outside or a little above or below this little sliver, 
And some, like insects, can see a bit beyond the range of light we use for sight, meaning some insects can see in the infrared frequency. But again, I'm talking about the body. It seems to me that this means individually is when I look out at the sky, most of the time it is blue, sunny, or gray, cloudy, or black, night. This is caused by the spin of the earth and the angle of the sun coming through the dome. And like the colors of the rainbow being a prism effect, twice a day, the angle allows unique colors to appear. Sometimes these colors are bold and dramatic, and other times they can last a long time or be very fleeting. But what are we really looking at? I contend it is a lot more than just a blue midday or a colorful dusk. Just because our human eyes can only see a tiny slice within the spectrum of light, it does not mean that there is something incredible that we are looking at, even if our bodies don't see it. I'm referring to eternity. If, as they say, the universe is ever expanding, then every time we look at the firmament, we are observing other dimensions and eternity itself. The first thing my spirit did when my wife passed was I sat on a bench behind the hospital at night and just stared at a portion of the sky. I felt her there. In hindsight, it is why I adjusted the routine of that first year of widowhood, being a widow, as many nights as possible to find remote places to soak in the sky and watch the colors of the firmament shape up. What does this mean for the soul and the spirit? And within these, most scholars refer to the spirit as that aspect of us that makes us a rational creature. What is the difference between the two, the soul and the spirit? I know people like Sigmund Freud, he tried with the id, the super id and the ego, but I don't know. I just know there is a nuanced difference. In the book of Hebrews, the author states that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide even the soul and spirit. Transitioning to the early fathers for insights, saints like Bonaventure talk about a spiritual mind, separate from the chemically and electrically charged brain thought. And his contention is that it is the spiritual mind that allows for the faculty of intuition, spiritual intuition, something separate from but that can build on the senses, that builds on emotions, and that builds on ideas. But it is beyond concepts. It is beyond imagination. It is beyond thoughts. It is beyond practically created forms. It is where contemplation, pure contemplation happens. It occurs in the human spirit. You have heard stories about a person getting hurt or that dies, and the mother, maybe hundreds of miles away, senses a knowing at that exact time. Yes, I am saying that the part of us that participates in quantum entanglement is our spirit. Moreover, other church fathers believe that our spirit has the capacity for infinity and eternity. It means a person's spirit can break through the constraints of space and time, allowing one to enter into eternity infinity in the here and now. This is why the Bible tells us we are already seated at the right hand of God, because we already are there. Is your body there? So it was that I continued chasing sunsets at the cross as a way to break into eternity. And there are several of my images that were captured during moments of those connections to God in eternity. Now, I don't expect anyone to understand it. 
I am simply sharing my experience, my testimony with you. Sometimes it still happens at a sunset or during a particular contemplative, like listening to songs that I can meditatively play over and over again, or a few icons, you know, sacred art that I really get pulled into. But again, that is just me. Does that mean you can tap into eternity as well? I don't know. We're all different. But from my personal experience and from my reading of the Bible and the early church fathers, I believe it to be possible. And even if you don't or haven't yet or can't, I encourage you to always have an eternal perspective on your eternal existence. It helps keep you beyond the heat of the moment, the cares of the day, bank account balances, issues in the family, or even current events in our society. Point is, your spirit has this potential. A problem is our assessment of the times of day is based out of and from our body. We are hot or cold. We are hungry or full and sleepy. I am happy on a Sunday drive or I am upset because someone just cut me off. Based on the time of month and the balance in our bank account, we are stressed or we are at peace. Most all the cares of the world that prevent us from being aware of the kingdom of God dimension which is to and an outgrowth from the perspective of our body. We think that is all there are. We are consumed by the stresses of producing at work, dealing with family issues, or even making dinner on time. We are easily pulled into the issues of our mind. What I have learned over time is that God and his kingdom is not just out there, but all around me and in me. Luke 17.20 When times get tough, sometimes... Looking out can give you peace within. Meaning, when you see a dramatic sunset or a night sky full of stars, remember, you are not alone. God is everywhere you look. And most importantly, he is around you and in you, ready to help you through any challenge. Doing so allows you to give up the desire for control. You no longer have to overthink the many decisions of our everyday trusting what God is telling us, Romans 8, 28. As we know, all things work for good for those that love him and have been called according to his purpose. I'd like to say that the scripture was inspired by my perception when God took my wife home early, or that I was inspired by other ground-shaking events I lived through. And while yes, it applies, the reason I use this verse is because of my grandfather, the one born in South Africa to missionary parents. For all of my childhood into young adulthood before he passed, he would always sign my birthday card and Christmas cards with Romans 8.28. And the meaning or interpretation of the intention that Paul had when he penned it has brought me peace when I face challenging times. And you never know what something as simple as a scripture reference can make in the life of another, especially a child. I am not sure what inspired my grandfather to start using Romans 8.28. I don't know, but my intuition is that he got it from his father, John Ingham, missionary to the Transvaal region and contemporary with John G. Lake. And now it continues. I use that verse when I sign cards to special people in my life, meaning it is now my family scripture. As I mentioned, it is also what I sign every book, books that can sit on the library of a given family for years or generations. And only God knows who may come across it or be affected by the signature and the reference to Romans 8.28. So to bring the two aspects of what I sign each book with, one obvious and one inferred, I write, what does the cross mean to you? And then let's look at Romans 8.28 as a suggested answer. 
Yes, I just disclosed the circuitous route it has come to and through me, my grandfather. So it may be a God thing that I am shaping or nudging the direction of the discussion, the person processing the question, what does the cross mean to you? I want the reader to ponder the perception that because of the cross, all the things we go through can be good and turn out good. For us, the kingdom of heaven, something good may come from it later, or it may make us a better person or a better Christian, or it allows us to be able to share a great testimony and encourage others with what we have overcome. Just look at the day Jesus gave up his spirit on the cross. It was possibly the worst day any of those who knew and followed Jesus can go through. But what is the name given to that day? Good Friday. And so it is in our life. We choose how to react to the situations we face. Or as some put it, what is happening to me? Meaning sometimes when someone has something negative in life to work through and live through, they choose to look at the situation as something nebulous being done to them, possibly for some nefarious reason, that they are unlucky. Or from the mythical Greek God perspective, God is messing with them just because he can for fun. And there are some that might say there's a lot of stinking thinking in those perspectives. And we should be careful how we choose to react to every situation. Chuck Swindoll once says, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. But no matter what it is, we are not aware. We can fall unto the unholy trinity of senses, emotions, and thoughts. To guard against this, we should strive to always walk in the spirit or as often as possible, keeping a more heavenly and eternal perspective. Continuing to walk in the spirit will realign your perspectives of everything in this earthly realm we are currently living through or will live through. In other words, keeping our internal reference of heaven in our conscious awareness continually helps us not to focus on the earthly situations that can cause others to be stressed, angry, or worse, bitter. Like Good Friday, remember that in Christ, again because of the cross, good can always come out of bad. One tangible Example is when I lost my wife to cancer. I had no time to prepare myself or say goodbye, as in her unique situation, she was literally here one day and gone the next. I never, as they say, questioned God or became bitter, not even for a second. Instead, I started a contemplative quest to feel what I felt when she flatlined. The glimpse into eternity I saw in a third eye or an internal vision, better said, where I felt the presence of God and the connection with her in heaven. So the quest that manifested for me in chasing sunsets as a way to tap into an additional little glimpse of heaven, to taste even momentarily in my meditations once every few days or once every few weeks, to sense her spirit and the God who gently took her hand from mine. I simply wanted to sit and soak in a sunset as long as possible, as often as possible. That mindset is what led me to a hill with a cross on it, and one that I made into my secret place, my hiding place, to be alone but truly connected with the Trinity. Then I began shooting the cross, and over a few years the cross collection emerged. I then created a 20-piece gallery show that toured across four western states. From the gallery show, someone met me who helped me publish the book, and during the book publishing I was a part of 30-plus radio interviews and six television appearances. Now, after circling back 
to this collection with evangelical passion, I now have a radio program, a blog, a podcast touching thousands of souls for the kingdom of God. I have a new book coming out in a few months, and all of which was born from a very tragic experience. So much good came out of what somebody might say is a very bad situation. The picture I'm trying to paint with that description of what the quest led me to and is still leading me towards was because God chose to usher her home ahead of us. This artistic cross-collection and the current way I'm able to evangelize with my imagery would not exist had my my wife not passed. Would I give it up to have her back? Yes, but that is not how life in this plane on this earth works. The physics of time and how God was before the creation of the universe is the greater point. All we really have knowledge of this universe is from the Big Bang. It filters how we perceive the nature of the full spectrum and duality of light. In other words, light as both a particle and a wave. And as a wave, what does it do? How does it travel? Well, picture, if you will, a letter S on its side, or a very elongated W. A wave, all waves, in shapes due to its rise time, will oscillate up and down, down and up, and up and down, over and over and over and over again for eternity. The application is that our existence and awareness of ourselves in this universe is underpinned by light. Yes, and dark matter, but since we haven't a clue about that yet, let's focus on the spectrum of light. Light from our star of our solar system allows us to see with our eyes the visible part of the spectrum. The slice of visible light within the full spectrum is so small compared to the rest of the spectrum. So is our audible slice. But waveforms also affect all of our other senses as well. We smell because we have receptors in our nose. Actually, scientists have determined we have smell receptors in every cell in our body. It's just turned on in the olfactory part of our body. Our sense of touch, our waves that travel through our nerves to the brain and back to a particular part of our body. Similarly, our sense of touch, our signals for receptors or sensors on our tongue that send a communicative wave to the brain. My point is everything undergirding our very existence is built on waves. And what is that up and down pulse doing? Is it not bouncing between polar opposites over and over again? Like each end of a battery, positive and negative. Just like everything else in our life. Summer and winter, day and night, hot and cold, awake and asleep. And to my point, love and hate, happy or sad. Sleepy or rested, hungry or full. Once you understand this core eternal principle of our current existence, you can see past situations much easier. Why? Because these waves move so fast that positive and negative can happen at the same time. If you do not have a day of being awake, positive, without a period of rest, negative, it can become very unhealthy. Meaning if you don't go into a negative state of sleep, your body becomes unhealthy. So let me repeat this. Life is positive and negative happening at the same time. So why is it we only focus on and only recall the negative times and negative issues so much? Why is it that so many unnaturally chase only the positive and go to great lengths to avoid the negative, only to find their lives completely out of balance and ultimately out of control? Some chase alcohol or drugs to be high to avoid the negative aspects of life, aspects that were intended to live through and learn through. 
Well, it is interesting. If you picture a horizontal graph, a line, and say a point one degree under the base, and a baseline one degree above that line, our life is meant to oscillate through each point over and over again. And if you graph this, it makes the wave symbol. But if this person is avoiding that point, that one degree below the top line, by going two or three degrees above it to get, quote, high, let's say with alcohol, then no matter how much they resist, they will break through that line. So this person then tries to get high again. But this time, because they're more degrees below the bottom baseline, they must travel more territory to get to the highness of where they were before. And then they're off to the races, for lack of a better phrase. Their life becomes out of balance. They are robbed of the potential for any kind of peace of mind. Now, I understand it is human nature, and as Christians, we don't chase the extremes of my example. However, sometimes we fall into habits or routines that can get us out of balance. Therefore, we need to die to ourselves daily and live in the spiritual side of who we are. When we do, it allows us to look at everything different in how we live and react to the things in our everyday life. As the phrase goes, as above, so below. It affects every singular moment of our life and across the weeks and months. It will keep you from getting discouraged during down or sad times of our life because if we stay aware of this construct, we know that the good is about to happen at any moment. It has to. On the other hand, this eternal awareness also keeps us from being overconfident or cocky or falling into a sense of false pride when it seems all things in your life are going good and you get fat and happy. Because, as we've been discussing, bad can happen at any moment. So stay on guard, stay humble, always trust in God for the provisions of your life. Live as if you are not overly blessed to be a good steward of that situation while it lasts. So, the two themes of today's devotional are everything and eternity. Let's bring them together. If Jesus was with God before the creation of this universe, and because of his sacrifice on the cross and our salvation, then our spirit has the ability to tap into eternity with our mind and body still here. The acceptance of this awareness changes everything about everything. And if God has set eternity in the human heart, or we can assume our spirit. The Bible also says that we are also seated with Jesus at the right hand of God. Then we will know that all the hurt, pain, injustice, offense, injury, slander, and suffering we face has already been rectified. It means we do not have to, unless we choose to, focus on the pain of our current situation. We can immediately look past it, knowing that the heat of the moment and the pain of the moment has already been resolved and the hurt healed. This does change everything. It means you no longer, ever again, have to allow yourself to get caught up in the most intense issues of life that you have to deal with. Yes, we must deal with them from time to time, but if we walk in this eternal perspective, quote, walking in the spirit, it can change everything. You can look past the emotions and pain that have already been taken care of. Once you can get to this place by dying to yourself, we are free to live in abundance, to move and breathe in joy and peace of mind. Now, on a practical level, does it not say in Isaiah 41:10 that God will go before you always? This means we can validate Romans 8:28. God is always a step ahead, even when life makes us feel that we've been left behind. 
Trust God. Truly trust God. What a laudable and blessed exchange. You give him all your stress, your fear, and emotions of any situation, and he gives you peace of mind, knowing that he is in full control, and the results have already been rectified, remedied, and redeemed. Therefore, leave the concerns of this time for the things of eternity. Choose the things of heaven instead of striving for things on earth. You will be free then to focus on his service, becoming a better person moment by moment for yourself and for others. If you have not accepted this incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you, then I suggest you contemplate what he did for you, asking Jesus to forgive your sins and to heal the painful parts of your mind and spirit. Ask Jesus to come into your heart today. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program heard every week on Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed in this devotional, the firmament, along with my other verspirations, then check out Rob Holt Inspires on Instagram. And if you'd like to learn about cross products or hear about other cross podcasts, then log on to RobbieHolt.com. That's R-O-B-B-Y-H-O-L-T.com. 